Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Around D3 and to checking out all things Division 3 soccer with Simple Coach and Jackie. I am Simple Coach. That is the Chief Dog Officer, Jackie. Yeah, she's keeping an eye out on things. Hey, listen, um, I, this is my first around D3 since the season, first of 2023. Figured I would sort of try to put something together, um, especially as it's there's been some information mostly around rule changes and and um, some other nuggets that I thought I would I would throw out there, and you know. Hopefully, keep you tuned into the game, even though there are no games. Um, so, uh, with that, let's get rolling. Okay, so let me begin with a topic that is very exciting during this offseason basketball. Um, so, you know, turns out my Mount Union Purple Raiders are pretty darn good in basketball and they're actually ranked fourth in their conference in their in the country so well, i'll just pull this up share there we go and as you can see they're fourth they are um behind Christopher Newport, oh, St. Joseph's number one, Randolph-Macon number two, Christopher Newport number three. But let me just say, this relates to soccer. How? Um, I can confirm still of something that I was made aware of during the season. So for a while there, a particular school was uh, was pretty good. And so I tried to check them out, and I can confirm the University of Paywall is still behind a paywall. You may have heard about some recent NCAA proposals that were voted on at the National Convention or whatever they, they hold, and they voted on a few of some proposals that had a really direct impact on Division three soccer, other sports as well, but Division three soccer. Um, the small one got passed. The bigger one uh, was defeated. So let me just talk about the defeated one first. Okay, so proposal 2023 number 12, I guess, is how you would read that, is this broad-ranging proposal to change the fall preseason practice formula for other sports than football, which means that football has it, but the other sports do not. And one of the big things that coaches had been talking about who are big, big proponents of this is to create some sort of acclimatization period for fall sports. In other words, what that would mean is that um, they would have a longer preseason uh, to get get athletes, get student athletes up to um, up to fitness, so that when the first games roll around, um, they have had more time to um, to train and to and 
do such things. And it was basically started with from the first game going back 18 days um, to start practice. There would the first seven days would have to be this acclimatization period uh, during preseason. Um, obviously, you would need the you know still the rule is that you need a day off during a seven seven day period you know for a week, um, including during acclim acclimatization. Why can't I say that word? Um, and then um, yeah. And so, so that one was defeated. And why was it defeated? The Benjamins, right? The, the, the money, I think, right? Because you do that, you're now having to house and feed. Those two, those are the two, two areas that I think, because if it's preseason, right, you come in early, that's what they have to do. If it was during the regular season, not so much. And the, the unfortunate thing is I think this was a big miss. I think this was a big miss for Division Three soccer, for really the health of the athletes, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about the overtimes, but I think, right, the, the overtime rule, the lack of overtimes during the regular season, you know, that was an attempt to have a better you know, to preserve athletes and for their health and for player load and all those things, here's something meaningful, right, to, for that very purpose. But clearly there was, what's the difference is that the lack of OT versus the longer preseason, there's money involved. So it had to do with the spring season so let me let me pull it up and this one actually passed and so starting in 2024 um this i think well for soccer the spring of 2024 they're gonna have uh, eight more days of training no more games but eight more days of training so uh, it used to be measured, the period used to be measured in weeks. So you had, oh, you can only train, you have five weeks to train or whatever the case may be to meet within 16 days. Uh, they've added a degree of flexibility. Uh, and, inc and, and so rather than saying weeks, so you'll have five weeks to do your 16 practices. Now you just have to say, I have 24 practices. So you can have 24 pa practices over a, a over the over that spring season, which I think I've raised it in a in a, any number of my um, simple coach coach interviews about hey extending the the spring season, and I have yet to hear someone say or vocalize that they were opposed to it that they preferred to keep uh, their spring short uh, and prefer the longer longer period of time, and I think. By and large, everyone was very disappointed about the, the the proposal that was defeated to add that acclimatization period um, to the fall season, to preseason, basically. So um, this one passed. So, like I said, in 2024, there's going to be more time to 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 train. You're going to have 24 days to train. 
Now, a missed opportunity here, I don't know if it's, hey, we'll take whatever we can get type scenario, but, right, they currently only have the ability in that time period to play one game. And that's a lot of training for just one game. So um, I think it was Coach Francino at um, at uh, North Central who, who, said, who brought it up and I didn't even think about it. It would have been great if they gave us, you know, two, you know, one or two more games to have. So then you could have two or three games throughout that 24-day window, um, which I think would make a big difference. And if you're a ball player, right, you just want to play. So, um, but anyhow, we, we continue to make progress and, you know, march forward. So the observation about, and that I also ask about in my simple coach coach interviews about the, um, the overtime rule. So no more overtimes during the regular season. And I've been asking coaches and it's, you know, a little bit more mixed. I think, um, there are some coaches, um, uh, coach Dayon at, uh, at John Carroll, you know, was opposed to it. Um, again, coach Franchino was supportive of it at North central, uh, doesn't mind having no overtimes during the regular season. Uh, so, you know, in, in the midst of this, um, you know, I too, as a, as a YouTube influencer, I have my inside sources who provided me with data and information about um, that I thought was was really interesting. And so, you know, every year they do they do surveys of the coaches and sort of to get opinions about things so that the um, the rules committee can sort of act on these different uh, different um, proposals or ideas that have that have come about. Um, so in this one in particular, um, they did a survey around uh, overtimes. So do you want it? Do you not want it? Uh, the first time they did this survey was, I guess, last year or two years ago. I don't know when, but um, it had 41% of respondents. So in men's world, you're looking at 406-ish. And then, um, you know, 41% of 406 coaches. And then on the women's side, you're probably looking at... Um, you know, and somewhere in the vicinity of, uh, you know, 41% of 430 coaches, give or take a few coaches, right? So a um, little under half. But in this latest version, I guess that came out after the season, 55% par participated. So clearly a big jump because this is a little bit of a an interesting conversation to have since and I'll show uh, some information that I collected on overtime that I just sort of looked at uh, that there was a there was a def definite jump, and I actually would argue that there was a a bigger jump in overtime or in in ties, let's say, uh, that were left unresolved because there was no overtime um, than in the past. So, um, but I'll show you that. But in the meantime, let me pull up the data on. Okay, so here is the here is the um, the latest survey uh, asking coaches about the elimination of regular season overtime, and it's just a survey to get to get an understanding. And 
you, you can see when it comes to D3, D3 on the D3 men's side, 62% of respondents had a positive opinion of the elimination, eliminating the regular OT, 30% negative. On the women's side, 67% were positive, 30% were negative on, on having OT. So clearly a majority of the respondents that, that um, um, are in favor of having, or of not having, excuse me, no overtimes during the regular season. And I, I mean, I'd be curious to know what it was before, like before the survey came, the first surveys came out, like, has it changed? Has it, you know, was it higher? Was it lower? Uh, but unfortunately, I don't have that. And maybe deep throat, if you're out there, if if that can be provided, that would just be fantastic. Um, so, so the, yeah, again, it's just interesting, right? Because there's a, a clearly a majority. This isn't razor, razor thin margins um, uh, for this. Now, let me also say what's not visible or understanding of what people don't understand when it comes to the NCAA rules committee. Um, you know, Division Three soccer, for despite the fact that they have a majority of teams, right? There's, I think, Division One has half the number of teams that um, Division Three has. As an example, we're at full excess of four hundred. I think the Division One teams are in the two hundred to fifty range. So clearly, majority. But on the rules committee. You get one voting member on the women's side, one voting member on the men's side. Um, and the, the, the sort of because they have double division one and division two have double the number of 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 uh votes that this they're sort of beholden to the actions of uh those you know those other divisions so i think that's the unfortunate reality so I, if if all things held true and then these votes flipped on the division three side that they wanted over times if division two and division one did not want it they would never go back so just keep that in mind um you know, which leads to this next part of this OT discussion. So in my desire to figure out this whole overtime thing and just sort of look at it a little differently, and maybe even because I have nothing to do on the weekends, I, uh, I took a look at it overtimes in 2019, 2000. 21 and 2023 just to get a sense as to how each year looked and i'm not saying this is magical numbers i got this stuff off the ncaa website i extrapolated where i could and just tried to figure out things so i'm gonna pull this up so let's start with the women this is 2019 women's soccer division three there were 430 teams that participated 
there were 8,013 games in Division Three that year, women's games. You could see the the you know win number of wins was you know obviously there's going to be a e- relatively even distribution for obvious reasons. Um, three thousand seven hundred twenty-seven wins, three thousand six hundred seventy-four losses. They were they tied six hundred and twelve games. Now, if you just look at the win, the loss ties that represented a little over half of games were were, were categorized as a loss or a tie. Why I did that, I don't know, but I thought it was important at the time. Now, <clears throat> each team in Division Three, just by averages, d- played anywhere between 18 and 19 games. So they won, on average, um, eight to nine games, lost eight to nine games, and tied probably one, maybe two, right, games. That would be, that would be the average distribution uh, of those games. Hope College led the country with six ties at the time. And teams that had four ties or more, so four ties or more, there were 27 teams that had at least four ties um, or more. The average of those um, turned out to be 4.3 ties, so four ties. The mean was just like slightly under that. So most of those teams had four ties. Most of the 27 had four ties. Come to find out that there were 600 overtimes. 650 overtimes in 2019 Division Three soccer. So looking at the tied games and looking at the 650 overtimes, it dawned on me. They said, and I don't know if this applied to the women's game, but they roughly said that half of all overtime games ended in ties. Right? Half of overtime games ended in ties. Okay. So if that were the case, then the in this year, particular year, I would have thought that you would have seen 300 and 25 ties roughly, right? Because half of 650 is 325. But clearly that wasn't the, that's not the case. Because of the 650 ties, only there's a difference of 38, 38 that got resolved in overtime. And again, maybe it's different on the women's side, but um, so, I kept going. I kept go going for not for my sake, but for your sake. Um, in 2021, post COVID, unfortunately, we lost seven teams. I don't know which ones, but there were 7,443 games. There were, you know, th- 3,441 wins. 3,422 wins, and there were 580 ties, right? Which is interesting. How does that happen? How do you have more ties than overtimes? This is the data I can't figure out. So 
to lead the country, I'm sure there's probably some like tracking, right? Because a lot of this ends up being manual, I think. Like the team guys record their scores and what have you, and it gets processed, and maybe that's that's the reason. I don't know. It was post COVID too, so lots of excuses there. Um, Beloit College at the time in 2021 led the country with six ties, and there were 27 teams with four ties, identical to 2019. Same thing, average of 4.3, the mean was 4.2, and 555 overtimes. So there was more ties than overtimes in this case. But regardless of that, I would have expected, based on what we know, the 50%, um, there would have been 275 ties, right? Because that 50-50 split. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, the data on the women's side is not as clear to me as to how this all all this all worked. But let's take a look at 2022. Hey, we found some teams back. There were 429 women's teams out there. 7,731 games were played. 3,295 wins, 3,260 losses. The number of ties almost, almost doubled. All right, there were 11,706 ties. Average number teams, the, the average for teams is that they played 18 games. They won seven to eight games, lost seven to eight games, and then tied probably two th or three, closer to three games. Um, which is basically added a, a tie game per team on average. Lewis and Clark on the women's side had eight ties. So if you notice the previous ones each had six, Lewis and Clark comes in at eight. This is the one that startled me. The number of teams that had a, at least four ties was 141 teams, 141 teams. We were in the, we did 27 in the last, in the two years previous, 27, from 27 teams with four ties to 141 teams with at least four ties. Average and the mean obviously jumped up by about half. So clearly more teams and in this case, because there's only uh, there's only overtimes for the for tournament play, so conference tournaments and the NCAA's a dramatic decrease in overtimes down to sixty one. But you can see why, right? Like the the numbers just got added back into the tide column. So if you looked at it, you're at three times the number of teams had four ties. Absolutes, right? So 
there were three times more teams if you look at the analysis that had four four ties so 66 teams of that 141 were at four ties even more so there were 11 times the number of teams that had five teams so there were 64 teams of that 141 that had five ties so you can see like it's a dramatic increase dramatic increase in ties that I'm not sure is explained. And my rudimentary statistics here does not doesn't help to understand it in large part because I don't have access to data and information. And quite frankly, I wasn't about to. I do have some things to do on my weekends, so I just figured I would stop there and while I'm ahead. So so that was the women's side. And let's let's take on the let's take on the men's side now. Okay, so now let's talk about the men. As I think this is a little bit more interesting. Um, I think the, for a lot of reasons, I think that the differences are more pronounced on the men's game, especially with the ties. So let's take a look. Let me pull this up again. My fancy schmancy um, Excel spreadsheet with colors. Okay, so 2019 men's. There were 409 teams competing in Division Three men's soccer. There were 7,724 games. There were um, 3,569 wins, 3,500 losses, 655 ties. Uh, average close to 19 games per you can see the distribution here little you know little higher you know eight to nine um, wins eight to nine losses and one and a half ties so one a little bit higher than that on average middlebury college and mit were tied with six ties to lead the country a little bit higher than them on the men's side than the women's side 38 teams had at least four ties. So that puts an average of uh, of those teams, of those 38, about four, a little, little over four. Mean was the same. So it's 4.3. So the, the interesting thing here is that there were 749 overtimes. Right now, again, we go back to over half again. The stat I'm just saying, I'm, I haven't confirmed this with Deep Throat or anything, and I really haven't probed it. But the stat that I had heard was that 50% of overtime games went were became ties. So I'm, I'm wondering if that is the case here. Maybe it was, I don't know, because you have 749 t overtimes. And, and six six hundred and fifty five ties across Division three, so that I just look at those two numbers. Unless somebody can make sense to me, help me understand this. It only looks like let's just say a hundred overtimes were 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 resolved with scores, but with were resolved in a win and a loss. I don't know. Am I looking at it wrong? I, I don't know. Okay, so let's. Go to 2021. 
Uh, we lost some teams, 406 teams, 7,220 teams. This is post-COVID. Uh, one, 3,321, lost 3,296, 3, and tied 603. So it's, I mean, it's consistent, right? Like if you look, if you look back, 655 ties, 603 ties. So, you know, a little bit more competitive, less ties. Hey, that's a good thing. On average, you saw a drop in games, so below 18, so 17 to 18 games. Uh, if you won a little bit over eight, so eight games, you lost eight games, and you tied one to two games. That was your that was your average team. That was that was sort of their record. Ithaca College, the Bombers led the men's in 2021 with, again, six ties. What's interesting here is that there were 28 teams with at least four ties. And again, average sort of comes out at 4.3, and then the mean is four for all intents and purposes. There was a large, in all these cases, the majority seems to be four, right? In both the men's and the women's in 2019 and 2021. And again, here, which I'm, I'm, I'm failing to connect, 676 overtimes in Division Three men's soccer in 2021 with 603 ties. That was the total. So I look at that and my first inclination without understanding or having an explanation is that the reality is that only 73 of those 600 ties ended up in a result with a win and a loss. Can I, again, help? I don't know. So let's go to 2022, where now the overtimes are gone um, during the regular season. They're only available. They're only on for the tournaments, so the conference tournaments and then the NCAAs. And so let's see what we have. Okay. So 2022, we found two teams. They forgot or something. Um, and 408 teams, men's soccer, Division three, 7,415 games played total. They uh, There was 3,036 wins, 3,007 losses. 13, uh, 1,372 ties. On average, teams played about 18 games, right? We're sort of in that range, 17, 18. Um, <clears throat> one, seven to eight, lost seven to eight, tied three to four. So it, it basically doubled, right? It's basically doubled. Now we all know, and this is not a reflection of my my opinion of of William Soccer, even though I'm sure someone I know some folks will ping me at some point being like, "You just hate Williams." I don't. I'm just reading. Williams College led the nation with 11 ties. So the previous two years we had teams leading with six ties. This is a jump by five. The crazy part here again is that. Teams, there were 175 teams with at least four ties. 
Let me say that again. 175 teams with at least four ties. And if you remember, last in 2021, it actually went down from 2019, but there was only 28 teams with at least four ties. All right. The average obviously goes up um, in those 175. So on average, those teams, um, the average was 5.1 ties per season. Of those games, of all the games, only 86 games went to overtime, right? So they, they were conference games, and then they were um, NCAA tournament um, games. So 86 of those overtimes went to um, were were tournament, right? Which this is the interesting thing, which I'm trying to figure out, right? Like, are those reflect? Are those again? Some of those will be reflected as ties. The way actually, all of those will be ref. No, it's just the overtimes, right? So um, those would be ref- Some of those are reflected as ties. Uh, because that's the way the NCAA counts it. Like, if you have to go to PKs, you're tied. That's how the record, ref- that's what the record reflects. So, but look, the the total number of ties j- doubled. Again, more than doubled in this case, 603 in 2021 to 1,372 in 2022. Um, there are of the 175, there were three times as many teams with four ties. So there were 61 teams that had at least four ties, that, that had four ties, excuse me. 11 times of teams had five times, five ties. So 65, 65 of those 175 teams had five ties. That's 11 times more than what was reflected in. 2021 so there's a lot lot here to uncover especially as we go because let's face it over times are going to stay right i just think that's the reality which is fine like i'm not and this isn't a case for overtimes or not against overtimes personally i just like the emotion of it right i don't i don't care the the before or the after, but those are the those are the games that you just sort of remember that are seared in your mind, like just complete battles. So, but if they're not there, there's other ways that'll that that emotion will be expressed. So I'm okay with that. But I just thought the data should be should be highlighted. So if I droned on a little bit too much about the OTs and I'm just making molehills out of molehills i I apologize but i I did find it interesting i was just sort of looking randomly and you know there there's a lot more to this than sort of you think so or at least i think and and just trying to take a look and and um especially at this point where we went from ot's to no ot's during a regular season so i i hope that's okay and um, like I said, cause I think it's a equally interesting on both, both sides of the game, right? Both the men's and the women's. So, um, but I wanted to end this show on, on some other interesting news. So when I started this channel back in November, November 24th, 
2021. Um, I did it, I made a video on passing. And I watched way too many games. Like, I don't recommend it to anyone. But I watched way too many games, counted passes. I've talked about this before. You could still see the video. It's like literally the first video um, that, I, that I did on this channel. And at the time, I had three, three subscribers. M me, simple player number three, and simple player number one. And simple player number two, I think, was like, yeah, no, Dad, I'm not, I have no interest whatsoever in your YouTube channel. And my goal was to get, my goal was to get to 100. I, and it took well into the spring to get to 100, and I thought I was the bee's knees. And then, just the other day, lo and behold, who would have thunk it, I hit 3,000 which I thought was the coolest thing because in the back of my mind, and I told my, the, the simple players that I too could become an influencer and get a thousand subscribers. And they, they didn't believe me. So um, I just wanted to take a moment, thank all of you who have subscribed. More importantly, thank all of you who have um taking the time to watch, comment, you know, all that rigmarole. And I really do appreciate the feedback, appreciate the support. It's so cool. I, I mean, the, 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 the fact that Division Three soccer, there's other like-minded people out there who share this crazy interest in, in it is really, is really neat to see. So if you're a subscriber, thanks. If you're not, what are you waiting for? Um, but, um, yeah, thank you very much. And I will continue to do this. I've said, as long as I keep enjoying it, I'm going to keep doing it and I'm still enjoying it. Love talking to coaches, players, and just sort of being involved in the banter. So, uh, I will throw out this to any other division three coaches that are out there. It's no, it's. It's no shame to email me and say, "Hey, I'd love, I'd love for to get on your your channel. I would love to do an interview." There's so many teams out there. I'm I'm just scratching the surface. So, um, if you if you have the stomach, then I have the I have the the will to do it. So, uh, feel free to reach out. Again, thank you for this. It's been great, and uh, it was a great year. And hopefully. Um, you know, this year is going to be even better. So lots of blessings. Thanks. You want to say goodbye? Yeah, she's out. If you like this show, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can also find me on anti-social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks. This is a message from my chief marketing officer. I think this keeps me.